Welcome to the Love Your Life Project, a gentle guide to living a wholehearted, meaningful life. In these trying times, listen to stories, poems, musings, mystical wisdom to inspire you and to bring a little more light to your day. I'm Anna Ramana. Hello, my dearest friends. Lovely to be together again. And this past week I've been really contemplating the notion of compassion. I've been shown various examples of it, I suppose. But how how would we describe it? You know, I I was just thinking of the literal definition and I'm just making this up, I could be wrong, but, you know, calm feels to me like it's something to do with connection, community, coming together, cooperation, and passion, the fusion of those two, the kind of connection of passion that we feel when our hearts melt or open towards another. And I just would ask you as we start out here, what What does compassion mean to you? How have you experienced it in your life? Either offering it, feeling it for another, or being the recipient of it. It feels like such a beautiful part of the human experience. And it does seem like the brain is wired. They have done scientific research on this that there is a kind of connectivity that we have. It may not look like that in the world we live in right now, but there is a kind of hard wiring in the computer program in the factory setting where we do have the capacity, uh, most of us, to feel compassion for those in need. And of course, there are those who aren't capable of it, perhaps people who've been damaged you know, either genetically coming in that way or people who have had a rough go in the impressionable years. But overall, I do think we are primarily a a compassionate race. And I happened to come across an article recently about a really exceptional man. Uh, his name was David Bro, I believe, B-R-E-A-U-X. I hope I have that right. 
But he was without a home, and he lived in Davis, California, apparently. And he had a bench he would sit on, and he would ask passers-by what compassion meant to them. And many people wanted to offer their opinion. And so he filled multiple notebooks with their feelings, their thoughts on what compassion was. And it was such a beautiful way to open people to a deeper level of knowing of their own beingness and the way their own heart works. So he became quite a kind of fixture on the landscape in Davis, apparently. And even when the mayor was, um, you know, signed in, he asked this man, David, to participate because he was really esteemed in the area. And I'm sorry to share that he actually came to a very bad ending. He was stabbed to death. And of course, that presented a whole host of new questions for the community who knew and loved him. What does compassion mean in a situation like that? But his sister apparently had a note that he had given her years before in which he had written, if I should come to a bad end, if somebody should kill me, because I suppose he knew, you know, that he lived on the, on the streets, anything could happen. He said, if I should, you know, be murdered, and maybe he just had a prophetic moment. He said, please, please know that I forgive whoever may have done it. And so it was like this beautiful parable, really, for the people of the town and really for me and I hope for you as I pass this on, for the capacity for compassion, for forgiveness within our hearts, even in a situation like that where you would imagine it would be so hard to forgive. So I was so touched by that. And it reminded me of actually another podcast I listened to, and it's been quite a while since I listened to this one. But one of the things that was spoken about really stayed with me, and the person sharing was talking about a short story that was written by Ursula Le Guin, who's best known for her kind of science fiction work. And Apparently in this story, and I hope I'm getting this right, but the gist of it was that there was this kind of utopian town where everybody got along, everybody was happy, there was no conflict, everybody was just kind of enjoying life, except there was this one outcast, a boy who was kept in a shed And he was starved and occasionally, you know, somebody would bring some slops for him to eat. And and sometimes some neighborhood bullies would come in and kick him around. And I know this is horrific to hear. It really hit me hard in the gut when I was listening to it. But the idea was the town could remain perfect if it could live with this one kind of thing that was out of sync, out of harmony, this piece of tyranny, of torture within its realm. 
So it wasn't quite a perfect kingdom. So it became kind of a philosophical question. And it really hit home. And I think because it was so individual, you know, it's one particular poor boy that we would feel such compassion for. But if you expand it to a global, a worldly situation, sometimes there are so many things happening, so much tyranny, so much torture, so much conflict that we we kind of blot it out. We put it in the back pocket of our heart. We may feel a temporary, you know, sadness and then move on with our lives like the people in this town. And an example would be recently, you know, I'm sure it got so much coverage, the, the recent sinking of the Titan submersible with five um, pretty wealthy customers trying to go down and see the, the wreck of the Titanic. And it got so much coverage and for good reason, you know, it was, it was tragic. Um, it was a pioneering, you know, endeavor. Um, with many consequences as well as the death of these five people. But many people were quite upset that in tandem with this, quite around the same time, a boat full of migrants in the Mediterranean Sea sank and I think maybe 600 people drowned. A horrific way to go. And there was barely a blip in the news about it. So it feels to me there's two things going on there. When it's more personal, when it's something that we can, you know, our heads can wrap around, quantify, or able to feel it more deeply. When it gets into high numbers, we kind of lose track. And I think there's a, a teaching for us in that. Every life is sacred. Every single life is sacred, whether you're dirt poor or whether you're you know, completely wealthy. Every life counts. So that's very, very sobering. And that story by Le Guin really stays with me when I tend to get a little bit kind of tuned out or oblivious to um, the larger issues. And, And I'm not saying we have to go out there and you know, do something politically or, you know, go out and protest. I mean, sometimes that's really a valid thing to do, but I think there's a way we can hold in our compassionate hearts the the trials and tribulations that so many go through. I mean, we all do. We're all kind of moving through. I, I was going to use the word struggling, but it's not always a struggle. But we're all doing our best here with what we're given in any moment and to hold in our hearts with love, with compassion, others, particularly those we don't know, the ones who may have no one else to hold, hold with them, their pain, their suffering, their struggle. And on a a kind of more individual level, I'm going to share with you a poem I wrote many years ago. I read an article in the paper about a bull 
and um, God, it touched me so deeply. And the poem is called Passion. When they came to slaughter him, when they came to slaughter him, the bull fell to his knees and wept, great big tears rivering down his darkened face. And the workers watched in shock and awe, this creature pleading for his life, a picture of humility, and they knew they could not take him. Instead, they sat around his lumpen flesh in a circle of love, stroking his quaking head with tender hands. And he looked into the eyes of each man so wide openly and suddenly calm that every heart melted like sun-kissed butter. And as they led him to a field where he could gaze at sky and dandelions, this time he went willingly towards the face we all live and die for, to rest in pure, exquisite being. And as they led him to a field where he could gaze at sky and dandelions, This time he went willingly towards the face we all live and die for, to rest in pure, exquisite being. Oh, that really touches me. You know, even animals, they feel pain too. They have consciousness, they are conscious. And just the open-heartedness and compassion of those workers to give him a pass, to let him live out his life in peace. And on that note, recently, I think it was July 4th, some friends and I went out to Hammond Pond. It's a kind of a neighborhood uh, pond come lake um, that's been uh, dry for many years but this year with all the snow and rain we had it was filled with water so we went out there to have a, a swim and a picnic and there were thousands and thousands of these tiny tiny frogs leaping about we had to walk so carefully so we didn't stand on them they had just All of them appeared since this, all of the precipitation we'd had. So we sat there really till it got dark and we had come down this really kind of long, windy dirt road. So it was about a mile maybe back to the main road. And we happened to see another car, two people, two young guys actually. And one of them was driving and the other was in front of the car, walking super slowly, the car going maybe two miles an hour, so that the man in front could just shoo away the frogs so they didn't hit any. Now this would have taken hours because it you know there were so many of them and you had to go so slowly. And I thought what a beautiful example 
of compassion, of open-heartedness, of kindness. I don't know how long it would have taken them to get to the end of that dirt road. And in fact, on the road itself, there were all kinds of signs saying, watch out for suicide frogs. So I'm sure many cars, you know, just flew along that road. Uh, And we lost many frogs. And you may be wondering, what about us? (laughs) How did we leave? Well, we stayed there till it got dark. It was... um, It was quite a beautiful sunset and we had to walk a long way back to the car and by that time we hoped and assumed that all the little froggies had gone to bed. And even just um, talking to my sister recently, she loves the birds and has a bird feeder and um, she told me how one little bird had got his claw kind of trapped somewhere within the bird feeder and he was hanging upside down and how deeply affected she was by that but she was able to rescue him and she took down the bird feeder and replaced it with a safer one and you know I thanked her for doing that and she laughed and said well I saved a life today and she had and that reminded me of this book I've been listening to on audible when I drive and it's a woman who, the writer who connects with those who have passed and kind of carries messages from the deceased to their loved ones still here on earth. It's kind of fascinating. And she spoke in one chapter about animals and what happens when they pass and the messages that they pass on. And she spoke about this couple who were just mad about animals, loved every creature, you know, down to the tiniest ant, down to a little bee that they found got stuck in a flower and they helped to extract him out and free him. And so when she, this couple had a reading with this woman, this medium, she's called psychic medium, um, she, all these animals who had passed came forth to thank the couple, including, if you can get this, believe this, even the bee showed up to thank them for their help. And that really, really got to me, really touched me. You know, we are so connected, all of us. We're not these discrete, separate islands of existence. We're all in this together in this amoeba of existence, whether we're in bodies or not. You know, just in terms of being compassionate, I think even something as simple as imagining ourselves walking in someone else's shoes, we don't know what anybody else has been through. Even the most scary people, we just don't know what precipitated some of their actions, the backstory. And in many near-death experiences that I've watched, um, so many people are shown, people who've died temporarily, are shown that their negativity towards someone, whether it's spoken or even just thought, can affect and weaken the object of their judgment. And that's pretty intense that we have that, I don't know if power is the right word, but we have that impact 
on others by our feelings, our thoughts, our judgments towards someone or something. And I was talking with someone I love so dearly recently and she was sharing about a serial killer who'd been caught recently and sharing about you know what she'd read about him and she said you know the death penalty would be too small a punishment for him and I I kind of felt myself wince I mean I certainly do not condone what this person did in any way shape or form but I feel like maybe this is naive but karma will take care of it in its own time and I've been humbled enough, I think, in this life to realize that there are all kinds of histories, backstories to why people act the way they do. And we just can't know. We're only seeing anything really through our own limited viewpoint. So this may be just my, my opinion, but I do feel that extending a thought, a gesture of compassion to everyone everyone we meet, everyone we think of, is such a, a beautiful way to live. You know, we're all struggling at times on this journey through life. Let's hold each other up as best we can. Let's add to the uplift, to more light. God knows this planet needs it. And the earth too, this precious earth that we get to walk on, it too, my God, needs our love. So, lots of food for thought, for heart, for us to digest and process. And so I'd like to leave you now with a poem. And next episode, I'll segue into sharing about self-compassion, which is, of course, a a huge component of compassion and very necessary. So here is the poem for you. And it's by Mahmoud Darwish. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Do not forget the pigeon's food. As you conduct your wars, Think of others. Do not forget those who seek peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds. As you return home to your home, think of others. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you sleep and count the stars, Think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. As you liberate yourself in metaphor, think of others, those who have lost the right to speak. As you think of others far away, think of yourself. Say, if only I were a candle in the dark. If only I were a candle in the dark. So let's be candles. Let's bring light into the apparent darkness. 
Let's illuminate this planet with our love, with our caring and kind thoughts, gestures, actions. And so I'll start the ball rolling, although I know you're already doing so much of that already, by saying, I love you so, so very much. My sisters and brothers and friends I haven't met in person, but whom I know deeply through the heart, through that open, spacious heart to which we all belong.